Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Today's sermon is on the portion of the psalm we heard in 122. We heard it both in the introit, but also in the gradual. With the words of the introit, we acknowledge that we've entered into the Lord's presence in this divine service where God is serving us. And therefore, that this is a special time of peace, a time of joy, a time of unity. Every Sunday, when you come here, when you gather together with other Christians to hear God's word proclaimed and to receive Christ's sacrament prepared for your good, you're entering into his presence. That's why the church is called the Lord's house. It's where he's promised to dwell with us as we await his return. He's among us in this assembly in a real yet spiritual way. This is his church. You are his church. That you, When you gather in his name, invoking the name of the triune God to be here with you, to serve you. Matthew 18.20 speaks to this reality. The church is not this building, though we call it the church. We call it that because you are the church and this is where you meet to hear God's word and receive his sacrament. In the intro it, and in the gradual, we spoke the words of Psalm 122.1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We have good reason to be glad to come here to enter into the Lord's house and be in the presence of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have very good reason to be glad to come here every Sunday morning, if not more. Because in this house, we receive the gifts our Lord Jesus Christ secured for us on that Roman cross all those years ago when he died. His gifts are eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and salvation. That is rescue from this sick and corrupted world that we live in. We have been rescued from this as our ultimate and forever eternity. Here in this house, we learn that we're loved by our Lord. You learn that you are lovable. God loves you. Despite what you may think about yourself, despite what others may say about you, God loves you. And from his love that we receive in this place, we learn that with Jesus, we're capable of loving others. We can love them the way we are loved. We come here because when our eyes are opened, by the truth of God's word, we want to love our God with all our heart, and with all our soul, and with all our mind, as we heard in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. We need God to work in us strength of will and fervor of faith. And so we come here to learn how to love our neighbor the way we naturally love ourselves. We're born naturally loving ourselves. 
thinking of ourselves first. And so we come here to learn how to put others first as we see Jesus put others first. As he was willingly ready to die. Your death, that's what the cross is. You are the guilty party, not him. But he said, no, I will lay down my life for you. That's my service to you. That's my love to you. I want to do that. And so we learn how to do that for others because it's done for us. We come and we learn, as Deuteronomy puts it so very poignantly, we come to learn how to circumcise the foreskin of our heart, how to cut off the part of our flesh that is corrupt so that we would no longer be stubborn in our sin. At church, we learn that we're seen by God not according to what we deserve, according to what we do, but according to mercy, what we don't deserve, according to favor. He shows us favor. And this builds up in us the desire and even the ability, yes, the ability to see others through merciful eyes, to see those who have wronged us and who wrong others in front of us, not as we want to, but as he would have us. We disregard what they might deserve by their wretched, evil actions. And we replace that in our vision with grace and mercy and love toward them. So it should make us glad, glad to go to the house of the Lord where we receive so much love, so much mercy from our Heavenly Father, from our Master. That's what the word Lord means. And where we learn the art. Yes, it is an art of sharing that love and mercy with others. We learn how to walk, as we heard in Deuteronomy 10, walk in all His ways. To love Him, to serve Him, our God, with all our heart and with all our soul. The Ten Commandments kind of get a bad rap. The law, right? Law in general gets a bad rap. We don't like someone telling us what to do, especially as Americans. And I would say especially as Humboldtians. Is that the right phrase? Don't tell me what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I want. It's good, though, to know the Lord's commandments. Because his commandments, the law, the rules that he sets out for the family, for us, they exist because our Heavenly Father wants what's best for us. The Ten Commandments are not meant to be a killjoy. The Ten Commandments are, uh, son, you probably shouldn't play in the street because there's fast cars and you could get smacked. That's a loving, fatherly thing to say. My dad said the opposite. Go play in the highway. I didn't listen to him. We learn his will for our lives by coming here and hearing both the, the gospel, yes, that we are forgiven, that we have love and mercy, but also the law, what we should do when we leave here, how we should behave. And that gospel applies to that law so that when we go out there and we don't do it rightly, when we fail to do it, when we step outside this building and our shoes are tied together and we fall on our face, we know he died for us. We can get up, 
we can rub some dirt on it, and we can carry on. Right? As we said in the intro, it, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. That's Psalm 122.9. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. In his book, Christ in the Psalms, Patrick Henry Reardon points out that all things, all things are defined by relation to the purposes for which they exist. Let me give you that definition again. It's really kind of wordy the way he says it, but all things are defined, the definition of everything is defined by its relationship to the purpose for which it exists. Makes sense, right? You don't call a fork a spoon because a fork does something different than a spoon, right? The Lord's house is no different. Reardon says, the church on earth receives her very identity, her definition from the church in heaven. The church exists on earth only with a view of the church in heaven. So if this is all we're seeing, we're missing the point. This is defined by the greater reality, the purpose for which this exists gives it its definition. That's pretty profound. And it's also what Jesus teaches us in his prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying do here what's already being done there. Make that this. Make this that. That's That's the right way to say that. So let's think about this for a second. Let's, Let's think about our view of church. Take a moment this morning to consider how you personally, just reflect, how you personally respond to the thought, the call to go to church, of coming here. Consider what your thoughts and your actions are actually conveying about what you think of heaven, the lesser to the greater. If you're not glad, now I know you're all here, so I'm going to assume you're glad to be here, so maybe I should... Send this out on the internet for those who weren't here to hear it, but I can't do that necessarily. Um, I can't, I guess I could email it to them, but they might take it personal um, in a bad way and drive them away. But if you're not glad to go to the house of the Lord, to church, to be in the presence of the Lord for, you know, one to two, two and a half, maybe three hours a week, once a week, if you can't be glad to do that, just an honest question for yourself. Why do you think you'd be glad to go to heaven and be in the Lord's presence forever? There's no time off from that. You're not going away from that. This is sort of like a a little pre-game show here. This is before the kickoff, and you're getting a little taste of the game, and you can't wait for the game to start so you can just live in it. But there's no commercial breaks from heaven. You're staying in the game the whole time. So if you're not liking being here, if the thought of coming to church doesn't make you glad inside, we've got to address that. We've got to deal with that. And it starts from that personal reflection, that first reason. Why, why am I not glad to go? Well, maybe it's because the pastor's a yahoo and he says things I don't like. I don't know, but let's talk about it. Let's figure it out so that you can be glad to be here because this is a sampling of what truly is. Church here, right now, this, is a shadow of church there. Eternity, heaven. If you don't want to be here, receiving the love and mercy of God and learning how to show his love to others out there, how to show them mercy and forgiveness. 
And what makes us think we'll want to be where love and mercy and forgiveness are fully realized? The very identity of the earthly church comes from the reality of the heavenly church that the Lord has already established. This house, a holy place in the midst of an evil world, is a reflection of God's greater house, which exists where there is no evil. Speaking of the heavenly church, Jesus said this. I'm in John 14, 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, you know I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Jesus wants to be with us. Jesus wants us to be with him and to be glad about it. Revelation 22, 3 to 5 says it this way, no longer will there be in the eternal heavenly church, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him, just like we're doing right now. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. David wrote Psalm 122. He was the original person to say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And he was glad to worship the Lord because he also said in Psalm 27, 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord. One thing, and that thing I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, to ask of him what he would have me do, to gaze upon the gospel then, and then to ask how to live according to the law. This is what David wanted. Being in the house of the Lord was the one thing David pursued. It was what he sought with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his mind. He wanted to go to the house of the Lord and dwell there forever. My friends, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you got up this morning and you said with that exclamation point, don't don't misread that. Let us go to the house of the Lord. Come on. Get going. Can you put your shoes on any faster? Come on. I want to go to God's house. I'm so glad that's in you. I pray that this desire would be within you all the time. Every day of the week. So much so where I have to beat you away with a stick. Sorry. The doors are closed today. I got to rest. I wouldn't do that. If you guys wanted to be here, we'd be here. I'm glad, and I'm, I'm glad for you to have this desire. I pray for you to have this desire to be here in God's word, to want to know truth, to be made members of Christ's church through the reception of his Holy Spirit and baptism, where our sins are forgiven, our sins are washed away, never to bother us again by the power of the cross, by the blood of Christ. It does make our hearts glad, our souls rejoice to know that truth to be in that peace. 
Mercy and love are yours. They are yours. Peace be yours now. Here on earth. Just as peace is yours there in eternity. May you already grasp it. And may it bring you gladness and joy. In the name of Jesus. Amen.